Hello, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. It's been a while since you've seen me last. I think it's been like two weeks, and I apologize for that. But the reason for that is the UFC, for some reason, just wants to put on fights that aren't that good for their fight cards. Maybe having like one or two fights that really matter that much. And I just didn't want to overload you guys with uh, content that I didn't deem uh, as worthy, worthy. And I thought it'd be good to take a week off and then I can talk about two fight cards that happened and then I can preview the upcoming fight card that's happening which is also not that good but we'll talk about it and then after that I'll talk about George St. Pierre maybe being afraid to fight Habib the fight's probably not gonna happen unfortunately and then I'll also talk about Tony Ferguson possibly co-main eventing a card against Dustin Poirier, which would be the second time Habib and Tony have been on the same card but haven't fought, which is crazy. Um, and then I'll also do a, a special episode that involves me giving my top 10 UFC fighters right now, who I think are the top 10 best mixed martial artists in the world right now. So, got a lot to cover. Let's get started. So, the first card that I will cover is Pedro Munoz versus Frank Edgar. This is the only fight that uh, really mattered that much on this card and it's the only one that I saw. I was very excited for this fight because they're pretty evenly matched. I was wondering how Edgar would deal with the weight cut and he seemed, it seems like the right weight class for him. There wasn't a, a super big size discrepancy. Uh, there was a strength discrepancy but that's that's been in all of Frankie's fights. He's never been a strong guy. He just uses his cardio, good boxing, movement skills, and heavy wrestling and good cardio to win fights. And that's exactly what he did this fight. Uh, one of the closest fights I've ever seen, to be honest. And I wouldn't have been mad if Pedro won. Uh, the way that I scored it was, I think I had the first two rounds for Frankie, and then I had three and four for Pedro, and the fifth round, which I thought was may have been a 10-10 honestly I if I had to give it to somebody I would have given it to Frankie and looking at the fight I feel like Pedro could have done a bit more to win he was definitely the, the stronger fighter because every shot that he hit Frankie with hurt and you could kind of tell that in the third and fourth round but where Pedro was fucking up is he kind of let Frankie lure him in and then he got countered on the way in if he missed a shot and then Frankie would hit him with the shot and then move out of the way. I think uh, Pedro could have utilized some leg kicks probably. probably, Because Frankie didn't throw that many that I remember. Um, yeah, I think I think Pedro kind of dropped the ball on this one. He he had no... Frankie had no wrestling presence really. I mean, he tried like two, three takedowns, but he couldn't keep Pedro down. Pedro's a very good scrambler. Um, I just feel like if Pedro was a little more active... Because he didn't seem to gas out, so he could have been a little more active. And maybe taken a little bit off of his punches, because it's not easy to uh, take out Frank Edgar. He probably assumed he would take him out, since he got knocked out by Ortega and uh, Korean Zombie. But those are two much bigger men than he is. So, the the course of... Uh, the way that I thought Pedro should have fought is, take like 10% off of your punches. Uh, just implement good boxing. Don't stand so square because he was standing square which le left him open to getting hit by Frankie and 
He just got a leg kick Frankie, I feel like, more to st stop his movement because he's always moving around. Frankie didn't hit uh, Pedro with any crazy shots. He hit him clean, but uh, Pedro's got a good chin, and Frankie isn't known for knockout power. But I just thought Frankie outpointed him with his movement and always throwing a lot of combinations and then getting out of the way. That's the way he won the fight, uh, primarily. Throwing a lot of combinations and then moving out of the center line. So Pedro couldn't uh, counter him because Pedro will take two to give one, but you can't really do that, with Frankie, because he moves so much it's hard to get a hold of him. And we saw in the third and fourth round Pedro did better, but ultimately I would say Frankie won. It was a close fight, nothing to go crazy about. Uh, Pedro sh shouldn't be mad at the judges; he should be mad at himself because he, that's a fight he should probably win. And hopefully he'll learn from this and look back don't be bitter about it just learn from it and I, I didn't see Pedro he didn't fight that bad but there was definitely some adjustments he could have made to beat Frankie in my opinion so there's that fight and then um who I think they should fight next let's see here I would say Pedro what is he like he's like number six right now ranked um I would probably give him someone like Rafael Asuncao, who just got knocked out by Cody Garbrandt, or someone like Rob Font, two good strikers. It'd be an interesting matchup to watch those guys go at it. Uh, th those are two good matchups. They're they're ranked lower than him, but Asuncao's a big name. Beating him is no easy task. And then Rob Font is a talented striker that people don't really talk about, but I'm a big fan of. So I would like to watch either of those fights. Pedro Munoz. A very entertaining fighter. Always gives a good showing, but he needs to uh, get a get some better defense, in my opinion, and um, throw a little more combinations, not not throw so much power. But who knows? And then you got Frankie Edgar. Uh, Frankie, mo most old guys, I'm like I don't I don't really know what to do because they're obviously on the last stretch of their career. But with Frankie, he seemed. He seemed pretty good in there. I don't know. With Frankie, he's he's just always in shape. He's always like in fight shape. He has really good cardio. If an old guy's ever gonna fight for the longest time, it's gonna be Frankie Edgar. He doesn't. The weight cut doesn't seem to be tough on him. It seems like a good place for him right now. And he's a he's a top five bantamweight right now. He just beat the fifth or fourth best bantamweight in the world. Like that is not an easy task. So he is he's not in his prime, but he's doing pretty damn well. I would give him someone like maybe Jimmy Rivera. They're both they're both uh, two East Coast guys. Uh, let him fight. That'd be a fun fight. They're, they both have good cardio. Cardio. Um, Jimmy Rivera has good takedown defense and good striking. Let's see how he deals with that pace of Edgar. Uh, and I was thinking maybe like Dominic Cruz because that was always a dream fight people talked about, but. I personally want Dominic to fight someone like Jose Aldo at like the end of the year, but if that fight doesn't uh, go into play, then someone like Edgar and Cruz would be a really fun fight to watch. Two high-paced guys uh, just going at it, man. Wrestling exchanges would be fucking awesome in that one. It would be a very high-paced fight, a lot of movement, so that would be really cool to watch as well. But Edgar's in a, he's in a pretty good place for for a guy his age. He bounced back from two losses in a row to Max Holloway and Korean Zombie. And he beat Pedro Munoz now, so 
Respect to Frankie. I'm a big fan. And then the next fight that happened, it was in this card, the, the card that happened this past Saturday. It was Anthony Smith versus Alexander Rakic. Uh, that fight, three-rounder, light heavyweight division of division that's not so shallow. Great opportunity for Rakic to show everybody who he is and how, how good of a fighter he is and that he's not overlooked. And he did exactly what he what uh, he was set to do. He showed great striking, phenomenal leg kicks. If Anthony Smith took a couple more leg kicks and didn't, and didn't shoot and, and didn't shoot for the takedown in that first round, I think he would have gotten knocked out by leg kicks. He was getting fucked up by those leg kicks. I think he maybe checked one, but it didn't even matter. Rakic was just swinging those legs around. And the thing with this fight. I just didn't know how good Rakic was at grappling. I thought, I, I know how good Smith is at grappling, so I assumed maybe Smith would control the fight and take him and take him down and win like two out of three rounds by wrestling and get the decision win. But I was wrong. Uh, Rakic is very good on the ground. He controlled every exchange. He Smith had a tough time getting up, obviously because his legs were hurt. But... It showed me that Rakic is a true mixed martial artist. He can grapple, and he can strike. Uh, I know his boxing is very good. He's knocked guys out. I know his leg attacks are very good. Uh, with low kicks and body kicks and high kicks. He has the quickest kick finish, I think, in, the, in UFC history. At least in light heavyweight, but I think in UFC history against Jimmy Manwa. Uh, he had a controversial, controversial loss against Volkan Uzdemir. Uh, which, well, I think it was a split decision, but I believe Rakic won that fight in actuality. But, there's that. And the good thing about Rakic in this era right now, of the light heavyweight division, you got John Jones, with, who's out, which they're all singing their praises. And you got uh, the title fight this upcoming month, and then you got a sort of number one contender fight in the next couple weeks with Teixeira and Santos. And then... Reyes and Blahovich fighting for the belts next month. So it's pretty. He's he's in a pretty good spot right now. He can just take this win, wait it out, and probably fight the loser of the fight between Santos and Teixeira. And then if he wins that fight, then he gets a uh, championship fight. So good. For, it's good for him that he only needs to win one more fight, and then he'll have a championship spot. Because it's not like the lightweight division where you got to win like three fights against killers to get a championship shot. Uh, he just has to beat uh, Smith, and now he has to beat Santos or Teixeira, whoever loses that fight, in my opinion. And then I'd say he deserves a title shot. And it would be interesting to see him against somebody like Reyes or Blahovich, whoever wins that fight, or uh, either Santos or Teixeira. These are all cool matchups for him. The light heavyweight division needs some new blood, and you got guys like Rakic, you got guys like Jiri Pros Chaka, I think is his last name, I don't know. So, these two new guys, they're solid fighters, and they're not just like going into the UFC and just figuring figuring out how to fight like Johnny Walker. They're like actual, like not seasoned vets, but they know the game a bit, especially Jiri. And now Rakic, he's fought some upper echelon guys, and he's beaten them. So these guys, I would keep your keep your eye on Jiri Proschaka. <laughs> I'm probably fucking up that last name. And Alexander Rakic. These are two solid fighters. I can't wait for them 
to move up the ranks because the light heavyweight division definitely needs some new blood. I'm kind of sick of watching the same people fight each other. And the light heavyweight division has always been the best division in the UFC, so it's unfortunate that the past couple of years, John Jones hasn't had a good enough opponent to fight, really. And his fights have been slacking because of it, too. So it's nice to get some new blood and kind of reinvigorate this historic division. So for Rakic, the next fight, I said Santos or Teixeira, the loser. And for Smith, Smith, I still respect him as a fighter, hard worker, gritty fighter. Good grappling. He's got some good strikes as well. I'd give him someone like uh, Jiri Prochaska. And the reason for that is Smith just lost to a guy that was lower than him, so he'll move down the ranks. And he'll probably be around the same area as Jiri is. Uh, Jiri just beat Volkan Uzdemir, I believe. So now beating Smith, that would kind of set him on the same trend as Rakic. And then beating Smith, then he could fight one more guy, and then maybe he could get a title shot as well. So I think that fight makes the most sense. I don't really think Smith would would be a fan of that fight. It would be a tough fight for him. But, I mean, I that's the highest ranked guy that you're going to get. And if you're still trying to fight for that belt, that's probably the next path, because you've lost your last two fights. So when you lose your last two fights, you can't really be cherry-picking opponents, even though you fought for a belt before. So yeah, I, I would say he should fight Jiri next, and that would be a, a good fight to watch, I would say. So, there's that card, and then you got the fights this... Oh, wait, I missed one, I missed one. Fucking, uh, Neil Magny and Robbie Lawler. Oh, this is, this is a sad sight to watch. I'm a big fan of Robbie Lawler. I remember watching him against Carlos Condit, and Rory McDonald, one of the best, two best fights ever in UFC, back-to-back -back fight of the years, never been done before. I remember him even before that fighting Johnny Hendricks in a potential fight of the year. Oh, fucking fighting Matt Brown, all these guys, man. He, and uh, and 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 always like losing the fight at one point and maybe possibly getting knocked out and then coming back in those later rounds and fighting better than he fought in the first round. He was, he was always known as a slow starter, but a great finisher. He just had that impeccable will. And people, a lot of people say fighting with emotion is not the move in UFC. But I think for Robbie Lawler it worked. I think every fighter is a little different. And for Robbie Lawler, in, the, in that era where he was just ruthless Robbie Lawler, where he, where he was the champion, I think it definitely worked for him. And, but but with, that, with that comes a price because he's 38 years old. He's been in so many wars where he almost got knocked out multiple times. And he's been knocked out as well by guys like Tyron Woodley and Nick Diaz. So it's it's going to be tough. He's lost his last, what, four fights? He lost to RDA, Askren controversially, Colby Covington, and now Neil Magny. And... It might have been a different story if he's fighting a guy like a Sente Luke here or Mike Perry, a, a fight that kind of caters to his style. But you can just kind of tell Robbie is is a little tough to pull on the trigger. He landed like seven strikes against Neil Magny.
And I know Mag Magni has a reach advantage, but it was mostly just Magni controlling the clinch battle and the ground uh, fighting. But I, I thought that this was kind of a good fight for Lawler because Lawler has solid takedown defense, so if Neil Magni wanted to take him down, he would struggle, and then Robbie would get on the inside and land and, and win the clinch warfare, but I guess he didn't, which was evident last Saturday. And I mean, like I always say, I've, I think I've said this every podcast, Father Time is the only undefeated fighter. No matter how good you used to be in your prime, Father Time always catches up to you. You see it in Jose Aldo. You see it in Anderson Silva, who's fighting later this month. I mean, even GSP in his last couple of fights. Uh, Michael Bisbing, uh, you know, John Jones even a little bit now. Uh, DC, you know, I can. The list goes on and on. It's just tough to fight at that level for so long, and especially with the training camps, because the training camps are, are what really fuck you up. Because even if you knock a guy out like a Francis Ngannou. Like, if you knock a guy out in the first round, you're still training for a three-round fight. You're still training for a five-round fight. And you're getting injured in, in the training camp. You're working your hardest in the training camp. And it takes a little bit out of you every single time, especially if you're cutting a lot of weight. So, for Robbie, I don't think he's going to quit. And I don't think that he's, like, a shell of himself completely. He's still fighting, like upper echelon guys, and he's still top 15, but I would give him a fight like Mike Perry, you know, two guys that are just gonna really strike with each other and s slug it out and fight the way that they want to fight, you know, or Vicente Luque, someone like that, I don't think Vicente would want to fight him because he just lost four in a row, you know, why would he want to take that fight, but someone like Mike Perry, I think that would be an awesome fight for the fans to watch, I would love to watch that fight. So I think if the UFC is smart, they'll set that fight up. And then for Neil Magny, some things I want to say about Neil Magny. Uh, Neil Magny is not the most naturally talented person. Like, he's not a crazy athlete. Uh, he's not a great striker, you know. He's not a phenomenal grappler. I mean, the only thing he has going for me is really long. He has a long, uh, long legs and a long, long wingspan, so that helps him. He has like an 80-inch reach at welterweight. But the thing about Neil Magny that I love so hard is that he's just a hard worker, man. He just, he doesn't ever, like, get mad when he loses, like, two in a row or something. He just, try, he tries to get better with every single fight. And he's never been a championship-level fighter, but at the age of 33 years old, he has had so many fights in the UFC, and he's been a mainstay in the UFC. He's, uh... What is, he's won like 17 fights in the UFC, and that's the most as a welterweight, or that's the second most as a welterweight, second to GSP. That's an amazing statistic, man. Nobody really talks about Neil Magny that much, because they say, ah, he's boring, he just wins by decisions. But it's like, he, he doesn't have that ability to just knock somebody out like Francis. He doesn't have that grappling ability like Damian Maya, you know. But that doesn't mean that he's not a good fighter. He, 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 um... He operates at his ability, what he can do. He can't do all this crazy shit, you know. But he can outwork you. He can outwork you and outgrapple you. Just just based off of work ethic alone. So I respect Neil Magny. And he's he's like a top, still like a, around the top 10 welterweights in the world. And he's still got a lot more year, years on him. I don't, I don't see him 
weathering that much, you know. He's he's lost he's lost some fights. He's gotten knocked out sometimes, but the way that he fights, I think he can fight in the UFC for a while, and he can be kind of like a, a Donald Cerrone kind of guy. He he could probably break the record for most UFC fights because he's a very active fighter himself. So for Neil Magny, uh, I'd probably give him probably give him Jeff Neal. He was gonna fight Jeff Neal originally. I think it was him, or yeah, it was it was gonna be him fighting Jeff Neal, but then Jeff Neal got really sick. I would still give him that fight. Jeff Neal's uh above him and an up and comer guy. You know, if, if Neil Magny beats Jeff Neal, that is that propels him to the top ten ranks and then brings him into those guys like he can fight RDA again. He can try to get that loss back. You know, some someone like that. Or Damian Maia, he can try to get that loss back. So, yeah, Neil Magny, he's in a good spot. He's won three in a row against uh, Lee Jingling. <laughs> what a name. Anthony Rocco Martin and then Robbie Lawler. And uh, he won all three by decision, so he's not the most exciting fighter, but he gets the job done. And that is the recap for that card. And now we got the one and only fight of the next card between... Augusto Sakai and Alistair Overeem. So Augusto Sakai, he's a newcomer in the light or the heavyweight division. His last fight was against Blago Ivanov, a close fight, split decision win. Could have gone either way. Not the craziest fight or anything. But his record, it's, it's pretty good. He's beaten some solid competitors like Marcin Tabora, Andrei Arlovsky. I think he came from the Contender Series. A couple years back, and now he's kind of getting into those heavyweight ranks. He's like the eighth-ranked heavyweight, I believe. And this is his first real test against. If you look at his resume, one of the best combat athletes ever. At least in terms of striking, but also honestly in terms of just combat alone. Uh, a 2010. K1 Grand Prix champion. That's the that's the kick biggest kickboxing organization in the world. He won the world championship. They have a big tournament, and it was like I don't even know how many like 16 heavyweights were fighting in the tournament, and he got to the finals and he won the tournament, which is very difficult to do. Then a couple years later, he went to Strikeforce, beat Fabrizio Verdum for the championship, and then he came to the UFC on all the roids. <laughs> looked like a Greek statue and beat Brock Lesnar, who was one of the most feared guys in the division. That was his last real fight in the UFC. Just kicked him out, literally, with li with kicks to the body, knees to the body. Whenever you think about Alistair Overeem, it's that clinch warfare with the knees and the leg attacks. But he also has good submission offense as well as defense. Uh, he, he's been taking guys down. When he needs to, fighters like Jarzinho Rosenstrike. And if you look at his record, I'm really hyping up over him right now, but I do love him. He, the la the fights that he's lost, um, they're Jarzinho Rosenstrike in a last second knockout. And for most of that fight, he was winning. He was winning the first 24 minutes of that fight, and then he got knocked out. Okay. Fair. Jarzinho Rosenstrike, legit legit competitor, just BJDS, legit competitor. You got Curtis Blades, who he lost to. Curtis Blades is a great athlete, great fighter. Obviously, Francis Ngannou, 
That was a rough one. <laughs> and then the last before that was Stipe Miocic. I mean, these are probably the four best heavyweights in the world right now. He's beaten Walteris, Olenek, uh, Ser Sergei Pavl Pavlovich, Fabrizio Verdum, Mark Hunt, Andre, JDS in the past like five years. So I don't think Overeem is is a weathered fighter. He's been knocked out a lot. Yes, he has. But the way that he f he's fighting nowadays, it's it's more defensive oriented, and he'll still get knocked out by those top guys. But I'm just not completely sold on Augusto yet. I haven't seen enough from him to tell me that he's just going to go in there and do what Francis and Stipe can do and just uh, knock him out or 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 take him down. I don't I don't know. I don't think he's that good of a of a wrestler. He's it's mostly going to be a striking match unless Alistair wants to take it to the mat. But uh, Alistair Overeem, he's a a seasoned kickboxer who can also submit people. So when I look at this fight, and I think about Augusto, he's a young up-and-comer, and he's fighting a guy that's a seasoned veteran with over 50, o almost 60 fights of experience. Although Alistair is a, is a bit weathered, and he's not what he used to be, the way he fights, he's still, he's still very, very dangerous, man. And he's nobody to overlook. And I'm not saying Augusto's going to overlook him, because he definitely shouldn't. And I don't think he will. But... I just feel like Alistair with his with his uh, great striking, kickboxing, knowing how to move out of the way, more defensive oriented, and also grappling credentials. I feel like he'll be able to uh, get get Augusto out in a third round knockout. Maybe take him down and do a similar thing to what he did to Walteris. Augusto might not have the best cardio. I don't know if this is a five-round fight. I'm not. I, I haven't looked that up. If it is, that's really bad for Augusto. But even if it's a three-round fight, I I would take Alistair Overeem by third-round knockout. I just I don't. I haven't seen enough from Augusto to say that he's gonna go in there and finish Alistair. If he does, kudos to him. He's a legit competitor. Because if you beat Alistair, to me, you're a good. You're a good fighter. You're a good fighter in the division. Because I have a lot of respect for Alistair. But thinking of it now, and especially seeing recently that all these newcomers that are getting thrown to these uh, gr good fighters already that have already been established in the UFC, like Sean O'Malley and Edmund Shabazian, I don't see greatness from Augusto Sakai yet to tell me that he's just going to go in there and beat Alistair Overeem. So I'm going to go with Alistair Overeem by third round TKO, ground strikes. And then that covers all of the UFC news of the past fight cards and the fight cards that are coming up this Saturday, or the fight cards coming up this Saturday. Now I'm going to talk about some things pertaining mostly to, um, I'm going to talk about Habib and GSP, the possibility of that fight, Tony Ferguson versus Dustin Poirier, and then I'll give my top 10 fighters right now. Okay. So GSP sent a message saying that it's going to be difficult to make this fight and it's probably not going to happen. Uh, I'm not really surprised by this, to be honest. GSP, he's not super old. I think he's like 36 or 7. I mean, he he hasn't lost a fight since he lost to fucking Matt Serra at UFC, 80, like UFC 60 or whatever. But he's had a lot of fights in his career. 
And the thing about GSP is he's a very smart man. And he's never going to just take a fight to take a fight. It wouldn't be good for his legacy if he came back and just got beat up by Habib, you know what I'm saying? Because we only see GSP as a winner. The two fights that he's lost, he has avenged them back. And we, we only see, we see GSP as one of the top three fighters in UFC history. Now, the thing... My mic, my mic cut out there, sorry. Uh, the thing is with this fight is Habib is creating a, a great legacy for himself by possibly being the only UFC fighter to end their career undefeated. John Jones should be undefeated as well, but uh, whatever. It's he's not. He has a loss on his record. It is what it is. But he has a very good chance of fighting two more times because I I believe when he's I believe Khabib when he says. He's only going to fight two more times and get that 30-0 and then leave. Because that's what his dad wanted. And his dad recently passed away. Habib is a man of honor and integrity and loyalty. He's not going to be um, just staying around the UFC to fight some random bums when he's like 40. He's not going to do that. He's going to fight in his prime. He's going to stop in his prime and then he's going to leave. So nobody can give him shit. People are going to give him shit. Obviously, they're going to say, ah, you didn't fight this guy, you didn't fight this guy, but... Whatever. He's gonna he's gonna try to be thirty and zero and end his career on top and possibly be the best mixed martial arts athlete of all time. And and the thing that would cement this is is uh, fighting a guy like GSP because GSP fights in a very similar manner, very calculated, not a better wrestler than Habib, but definitely a better striker. Uh, always doing whatever you can to win the fight. And doing it in a respectable, humble way. And Habib respects GSP a lot because of his m manner, the way, the, the humility that he shows. He's not out there talking shit like Connor or uh, Bisming or any of these guys, you know. He's a very respectable man. He respects every opponent that he's ever fought. And he shows true class in that octagon. Uh, I didn't really appreciate GSP as much when he was fighting because I was young and I thought it was boring. But now that I'm older, uh, I think he's definitely one of the best fighters of all time, and his resume speaks for itself. But, I know GSP is not gonna take any, f not gonna just take any fight l like uh, Anderson is right now, or a lot of fighters do. He's gonna take the fight that's best for him, and kind of like Floyd Mayweather, he's gonna pick and choose fights, because there's no... Uh, fighting is a tough sport. He's not just going to go in there and fight Habib. You know, Habib is a tough matchup for GSP, especially at his age. In their prime, in, in GSP's prime, it could be a different story. But we'll never get to see that. So GSP's definitely not in his prime. And an another thing, too, is what weight are they going to fight at? Is Habib going to go up to 170? Is GSP going to cut to 155? He's never made that cut before. He just fought at 185. Like, it's it's going to be a little weird. He's, is GSP just going to come back, try to win, and then vacate the belt, which is what he did last time. The UFC doesn't really want that to happen. Uh, the best thing that I could see happening is them just fighting at a catch weight at 165. And the UFC is going to do whatever Habib wants them to do. He's, he's given them a lot, and he's always been very humble. He never failed the drug test. So he's going to fight Justin. If he wins that, they're going to give him whatever the fight he wants for the 30th one. But 
I don't feel like this fight's gonna happen. I'm guessing his last fight will probably be either Connor or Tony Ferguson. It would be cool to be GSP if it was GSP, but I think uh, I think personally Habib would win that fight pretty convincingly. And I think deep down, GSP knows that it's a tough matchup for him, and the chances of him winning are very slim. So, I wouldn't I wouldn't bet that this fight would ever happen. So, I'm gonna just try not to think about it too much because I don't think it'll ever happen. Be cool if it happened, but I don't think so. So the next news is that UFC 54 could be bringing a new co-main event instead of Robert Whitaker and Jared Cannonier, and it might be Tony Ferguson and Dustin Poirier. Nothing's been confirmed, but we we all know that Tony Ferguson's next fight is going to be Dustin Poirier, and what better way to have it than to stack the UFC 54, 254 card with the best two lightweight fights that you can make right now. Justin Gaethje versus Habib, and Tony Ferguson versus uh, Dustin Poirier. And then you got Robert Whitaker versus Jerry Cannonier. That's a great fight card. One of the best fight cards of the year, if not the best fight card of the year. It would be a sh it it probably sucks because it's gonna be with no fans, but I'd rather have the fight than not have it. Uh, this is it's kind of interesting because the only time Tony and Habib have fought on the same card is when they're not fighting each other. For some reason, it just works out that they they're on the same card, but they never fight each other. I don't know why. I don't know why a higher power does not want Habib to fight because they've scheduled five fights, and none of them have ever happened. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. If Tony beat Justin, he definitely would have gotten that fight in October. But we all saw how that happened. But uh, Tony and F Dustin is a great fight. I would love to watch that fight. It's a toss-up fight. Um, I'm a huge fan of both guys, and whoever wins that fight, it wouldn't, I wouldn't be mad about it. I don't know who I'm going to pick yet. i got to think about it really uh, long. But, uh, yeah, I think that fight's happening in October. You got Habib and Justin, Tony and Dustin, and then Jared and Robert. Great fight card. So that's going to be a good night, night of fights for sure. So that's something to look forward to. And then finally for this podcast, I'm going to be giving my thoughts on the best 10 fighters in MMA today. I don't know how, how consistently I'll do these. I'll probably do it every couple months. Maybe like two, three times a year. Four, I don't know. But I just thought of doing it right now because there's been some important fights that have happened during this quarantine period for UFC with no fans so I thought I'd give give my acknowledge, acknowledgments and respect to some fighters and who I think is the 10 best MMA fighters right now I didn't put any guys from Bellator or PFL just because I don't know how good they really are I'm aware that they're good fighters but in my opinion I have to, I have to see you in the UFC to see how good you truly are so I'm going to do some honorable, honorable mentions, some people that are right there and can make the top 10 in the next month or so, but they're not in my top 10 right now. Aljamain Sterling. Aljamain Sterling, he has a good chance of being the next Bantamweight champion, and if he is, I'd definitely put him in my top 10. I love the way he fights. He's very unorthodox striker and a great grappler at that. 
Uh, one of my favorite one of my favorite fighters recently, and I just love his demeanor. I don't know why the UFC just does not want this kid to have a title shot, but his last wins are Jimmy Rivera by a unanimous decision, Pedro Munoz, and then he submitted Corey Sanhagen in uh, under a minute, I believe. He's those are three really tough matchups. I think people underestimated Aljo after he got knocked out by Marlon Rice. They just thought he was going to be a middle-of-the-pack guy, but he definitely upped his training and changed the way he fights. He doesn't fight uh, rudim rudimentary anymore. He doesn't. He kind of moves a lot, kind of like a Dominic Cruz or TJ Dillashaw. He moves a lot when he strikes, and his strikes come from a lot of different angles. He also has good uh, leg kicks and high kicks as well, and he's a very good grappler. He has good submissions, so he's a true mixed martial artist, which is what I love. And I can't wait for him to fight Piotr Jan, because I got him in that fight. And I'm a big fan of Elger, to be honest. He's becoming one of my favorite fighters. So he's in that honorable mentions club. Next, you got Max Holloway. I love Max Holloway. If you ask me before the Volkanovski fights, he'd probably be top four. But he lost his last two fights. People are going to disagree with me on the last one. They say that Max Holloway won the second one. But I watched that fight three, four times. And I, th I think Volkanovski won both. Uh, unquestionably so I'll put him in my honorable mentions I feel like Max is still a warrior the way he fights is gonna be tough for anybody to beat he's not an easy fight for anybody and I'm excited to see him fight these uh, up-and-coming featherweights because people still think he's the champ and I hope that his ego doesn't get diminished from losing these last two fights and he still fights in a similar manner because if he fights Volkanovski and changes some things, he could definitely beat him. But uh, g give him some time. I would, I would give a uh, if Max Holloway can win against uh, some featherweight and win emphatically, then give him that title shot. You know, I'm, I've always been a fan of Max. He's a great, he's a great person. But I just can't put him in my top ten right now. There's too many good fighters right now. So, without, uh, I think that's it, right? Yep, that's that's those the honor honorable mentions. For my part, I'd also put in Jorge Masvidal in there. Uh, coming, coming from a uh, what is it one week one week notice against Usman, losing that fight pretty decisively, but Usman didn't do that much in my opinion. I think I still think Jorge is a true fighter, uh, real champ mentality, the baddest motherfucker, obviously. Beating Darren Till and Ben Askren emphatically. Getting a new light to him, you know, and beating Nate Diaz as well. I still think he's one of the biggest stars in the UFC, and he's got a lot to show people. So, respect to Jorge as well. He's definitely top 15, at least. So, number 10. I got Dustin Poirier. So, Dustin Poirier, he's a good example of a guy that reinvigorated his career. I'll, I'll put up his record right now. Because he was getting knocked out by... Conor McGregor, and then he got knocked out by Michael Johnson, I believe. Yeah, Conor McGregor, then he won four fights in a row against guys that are solid competitors like Bobby Green, Yancey Medeiros, but nothing nothing uh, crazy good. Then he got knocked out by Michael Johnson, came back and beat Jim Miller, had a weird fight with Eddie Alvarez with, with illegal knees, but he was winning that fight, and then, fought, then beat... Anthony Pettis, 
be Justin Gaethje, which people forget about, beat Eddie Alvarez, and then Eddie Alvarez left the UFC, then beat Max Holloway for the interim belt, lost to Habib, which is no shame. Everybody loses to Habib. And he, and he landed some good shots on Habib in that second round. He definitely staggered Habib, but the grappling was a little too much for him. And beat an upcoming striker in Dan Hooker in a fucking great fight. One thing I love, love about Dustin Poirier, he always has fights of the nights, a fight of the nights. And it's not just because he's this brawler and isn't technical. Dustin Poirier is one of the best boxers in the UFC, uh, and he has a lot of he has he's a very strong guy. He's a he's a big dude. So whenever he whenever he lands a good shot, uh, anybody can get knocked out. That's that's the biggest reason he won the Holloway fight. It was the strength advantage, and because uh, Holloway has better cardio, but uh, Poirier just had more more power. And that was another reason he beat Dan Hooker, just having that power and having that boxing fundamentals. And Dustin's also not a slouch on the ground. He's a he's a black belt on the ground. He's a solid MMA fighter. He's he's been pretty consistently good. He's just been ha having some setbacks whenever he gets to that upper echelon. He lost to Conor McGregor, obviously. Lost to Michael Johnson, who I think he would fuck up now, obviously. And he lost to Habib. So I think Dustin Poirier. A great human being, first and foremost, and a great fighter. And he's been fighting in the UFC since 2011. Ten years fighting in the UFC almost. And he is 31 years old. Holy shit, he's only 31? Damn, man. Dustin Poirier is a legend already. He's a future UFC Hall of Famer, man. I love Dustin Poirier. I'm a big fan of him. And he just... He's just uh, that that mentality he has. He he just loves fighting, man. And I I always know if I'm watching a Dustin Poirier fight, I'm having a good time. So I got him at number ten. And then at number nine, I got a guy by the name of Conor McGregor. You might know him. So the reason Conor is there is because I I believe he's still better than Dustin or Max or Aljamain, even though he hasn't been super active. And he only beat Cowboy in his last fight, which Although Cowboy's a good fighter, that's a great matchup for uh, McGregor. And I've always said I'm not the biggest fan of Conor as a dude. I'm, I'm, I just don't... I just, he's just never been my favorite person. But I will never deny how great of a fighter he is. He is a phenomenal fighter. The The thing that makes Conor so good is his awareness, is his awareness of uh, distance and timing. And also his great speed and his fighter IQ he's a very very smart fighter and he uses great feints and great setups to land that left hand it also helps that he has so much power behind his shots and he just kind of shocks guys with his power because you don't expect it I mean you look at his career and it's very legendary beating beating uh, Dustin Poirier who's a great fighter then beating Dennis Seaver uh, who which kind of like kind of made him like a bigger star he fought he fought a fight night against Seaver and then his, his toughest challenge uh, of his career was against Chad Mendes well and, uh, to that point it was Chad Mendes a great wrestler came in two weeks notice and that was for the interim featherweight championship so he beat Chad Mendes knocked him out but then everybody's like eh, Chad Mendes two week notice he was tired whatever he would have beat him if he had a full camp but then he fights the best featherweight of all time. Maybe Max Holloway has that distinction now, but at the time, it was unquestionable. 
the best featherweight of all time, Jose Aldo, who, who hadn't fucking lost in years. I think his record was like 20-something and one. It was 25 and one when he fought Conor. He, he lost to some guy in the Brazilian organization in 2005. This guy was beating the fuck out of everybody. He came in there and knocked Jose Aldo out in 13 seconds. He is what Conor does so good as well is his mental warfare. He got in Jose Aldo's head. Jose Aldo was shaking in, in his in his fucking shorts uh, in that in that octagon. He was shaking, looking at the ground. Just he he let the moment get to him. And Conor was out there relaxed, like he was sparring Jose. Jose went in, left his chin in the air, and Conor came in with that laser left hand and slapped him. Then, lost to Nate Diaz. Tough matchup for Conor. Big, long guy, weighs more than him. Uh, does not get knocked out. Great cardio. Lost to him. No shame in that. Then, he beats Nate Diaz uh, a couple months later. Gets that loss back. At, at welterweight and then he goes down to light heavy lightweight and fights eddie alvarez and puts a clinic on eddie, eddie alvarez who is also a good fighter but connor was just one step ahead he had he set up his left hand so well in that fight and was just one step ahead of eddie the entire time then obviously lost to habib tough fight for him and beat cowboy uh I just want to see more activity from Conor, you know, but at the same time, I don't know if I want to watch a Conor fight without fans. So, I wouldn't be that mad if he doesn't fight this year and waits for a big fight like Tony or like Dustin Poirier next year, maybe Habib. So, or Justin Gaethje, I don't know. But all of those fights would be cool to watch, and I hope he's not actually retired. I don't think he is. So, there's that. I got Conor at number 9. Number 8, I got Tony Ferguson. Cardio Machine Tony, Tony Ferguson. Uh, I'm not going to jump off the bandwagon just because he lost to Justin Gaethje. That would be disrespectful to Tony on Justin Gaethje. Justin Gaethje is a great fighter. Uh, Tony Ferguson before that won his last like 12 fights. He's just a cardio machine. He beats. He just beats down everybody. He makes you question why you, ev why you ever got into MMA. And with, with that awkward movement, good striking, uh, he packs a punch as well. And very unorthodox 10th planet jiu-jitsu that he learned from Eddie Bravo. I mean, this guy is just made of something else, man. He refuses to get knocked out. He is like the a Rocky of our era. The way he fights is just phenomenal. I love watching Tony Ferguson fight. And I can't wait for him to fight Dustin Poirier. Tony Ferguson, number 8, easily. Number 7, Justin Gaethje. Justin Gaethje... When he first got into the UFC from World Series of Fighting, he was just that brawler, uh, good striking, good clinch work, but left himself open to strikes and threw too much power, and he got tired at the en at the en at the end of some rounds, which left him open for body strikes and head strikes. And Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier, two seasoned veterans, picked up on that and beat him in those later rounds. He got knocked out in the third and fourth round of those fights, but then. He realized that, and obviously having a great trainer like Trevor Whitman, he asked himself, do I just want to be a guy that goes in there and just fights for the fans and just gets knocked out and wins fights sometimes? No, I want to be a champion. And he changed up his fighting style to fight uh, more smart. Knocked out James Vick, knocked out Donald Stroney, knocked out 
Edson Barboza. He still possesses the power, but he's fighting more technically. He's not letting himself out, out to be punched. He's not leaving his chin open. He has better defense. He's not just putting his hands up so people can punch his body. He's fighting like a true champion. And that's what got him to this fight against Habib that he's about to fight. And I've always had my eye on Justin Gaethje, even when he was in World Series of Fighting. I don't usually watch that many f fights other than the UFC, but I always kept my eye on him because I knew he was a, the best fighter from the WSOF, the way he fought. And Justin Gaethje, he's going he's gonna to be fighting for a while because I think he's only like 31, 32. And the way he's fighting, uh, I'm loving it. He's uh, got a lot of power, great striking, good wrestling defense, and great clinch work. I got Justin Gaethje at number 7. And if he beats Sabib, he'll definitely be top 3. Then at number 6, I got Kamaru Usman. Undefeated fighter. I remember him from the Ultimate Fighter. He won that. Then he went to the UFC. won like 8 fights in a row. And then he beat Tyron Woodley decisively. Took Tyron Woodley down at will. And that never happens to Tyron Woodley. He's a gr great... Take, he has great takedown defense, but not in that fight. Usman was just one step ahead, the bigger fighter, the stronger fighter, and he beat Tarn Woodley. Uh, and Tarn Woodley was like dominant as a, a champion at welterweight, and he beat him. Then he fought Colby, and that was a tough fight for him. Colby is a fucking great fighter, man. He's he is he should be my honorable mention to be honest. He's probably top fifteen, and. The thing with Colby and Usman, the reason Usman won that fight is because he's stronger than Colby. His punches, pa he, it packed a little more punch than uh, Colby's did. Colby's, he kind of just touches you. He wasn't throwing anything that really staggered Usman that much. But every shot that Usman threw on uh, Colby, it it hurt him, especially the body shots, and especially in the third round when he broke his jaw. That was a big turning point for the fight. Because although Colby won three rounds, the one round that Usman won meant a lot, and then you saw in the fifth round, Usman closed it out. That showed he had, that showed that he has a championship heart, and I respect that shit. Now the way that he fought Masvidal, I guess he did what he, what he needed to do. Gilbert Burns, he was obviously preparing for that, which is a completely different fighter, so he just went back to his roots, held him against the cage, took him down a couple times, and won. Fair enough. You, do what you gotta do to get the win. I, I can respect Usman for that. And I'm excited to see him fight someone like Colby again, or someone like a Leon Edwards. I think those would be interesting fights for him. And he's an undefeated champion. Uh, nobody can really stop him right now. And he's been showing that he's a better striker as well. So Usman, although he's not my favorite fighter, I, I gotta give respect where respect's due. So I got Usman at number 6. Then... You got number five, Alexander Volkanovsky. Now, people might think, why are you putting Volkanovsky over all these guys, you know? And the reason for that is that he's only lost one fight. He's fought a lot of great featherweight competitors. Let me look it up. He started out by beating Darren Elkins, who was, like, on an undefeated streak for a little bit. Beat Darren Elkins... Then he beat Chad Mendes, which is a tough fight for anybody. Second round TKO. Beat Jose Aldo, one of the best featherweights of all time, decisively. Beat Max Holloway the first time, decisively. Who's a top? Who was a top three fighter in the UFC at that time? Nobody, nobody thought Holloway was going to lose that belt for years to come. 
and then he beat Holloway the second time closer, but he beat him. The way Volkanovski fights, very calculated. Uh, he doesn't leave himself open for anything. He has great leg leg kicks, good boxing, and the big uh, one big thing is that he can cut weight very well. He used to be a rugby player, which is where that athleticism comes from, and he used to weigh 214 pounds, and now he's fighting at 145 pounds. That seems rid that seems ridiculous and impossible, but he makes it work, and it shows. Uh, his wrestling exchanges against those guys were better because he was bigger than them. Uh, his use of leg kicks really worked against Max Holloway, and although Max Holloway is a better box, is a is a good boxer, I would say that Volkanovski outboxed him in both fights. Maybe not the first two rounds of the second fight, but in the first fight, he outboxed him. I think he's a very smart fighter, and I would like to see him probably fight someone like. Um, a Korean zombie next if he wins that fight or like Zabit or Yair I'd like to see him against some new blood and see how he adapts to that because I know he will he's not that kind of fighter to fight the same way against everybody he's going to change up his style similar to Henry Cejudo which is why him and Henry Cejudo would be a cool fight then at number 4 I got Israel Adesanya so Israel Adesanya he came from kickboxing and he stepped to the UFC a couple of years ago beat Brad Tavares, who's a very good fighter, kind of a gatekeeper almost, and he uh, then he, then after that he beat a guy called Derek Brunson, who just beat an up-and-coming guy uh, in Edmund Shabazian. Uh, so Israel showed in that fight that he has good takedown defense, and he's not just going to let you take him down and hold hold you at will. He's he's a very uh, like sociable guy very like extroverted he's good for the fight game he talks shit and he backs it up as well he ha he's a incredible counter puncher he has power and he has so he has solid kicks and he has good wrestling defense people don't talk about his wrestling defense enough he never gets taken down at will and he's a very exciting fighter to watch nowadays especially with the middleweight division where it is right now I'm excited to see that division, and I'm excited to see him fight Paulo Costa. I think he's going to dominate him. And I, I've had my eye on Israel Adesanya for a while now. He's kind of breaking through, and he's becoming one of the most famous fighters in the world right now. And I think deservedly so. He's a great fighter. He talks shit, but he backs it up, and he's a respectable man. He doesn't cause a lot of drama. So I'm a big fan of Israel Adesanya. I got him on number four. Number three, the always overlooked Stipe Miocic. Stipe Miocic, the best UFC heavyweight of all time. How can you not put him at number three? Um, what, where do I start with Stipe? Just overlooked his whole career, always being the underdog. Underdog against Verdum. He fought him in Brazil, knocked him out in, in a minute. Then he defended it against Overeem in the first round knockout. Defended it against Dos Santos. And then he was a big underdog against Francis Ngannou. Everybody thought that Francis Ngannou was going to come in there and just knock him out. But he showed Francis's holes, and he took him down, outstruck Francis, and beat him decisively. Then, a couple months after that, he fought Daniel Cormier. And he fucked up. He fucked up. He uh, got out of the clinch with his chin open, and Daniel Cormier knocked him out. Uh, but a year after that, he fought DC again, and he knocked him out, gr made great adjustments, went to the body, 
outbox DC and outwork DC, which nobody ever does. Nobody outworks DC, but he did. And he did the same thing in the third fight. Beat him more decisively, although it was probably 3-2. It was an emphatic 3-2. People still give excuses that it, it was the eye poke that won him the fight, but people just always make excuses about Stipe, but he's the best He's the best MMA heavyweight of all time. That's that's respectable in my opinion. So I'm excited to see him fight Francis again or John Jones. Love Stipe, great human being, firefighter and MMA world champion. Number three. Number two. He's always been my number one uh, for the past couple years in the pound for pound list, but recently he has not been fighting to his best ability in my opinion. I got John Jones at number two. So John Jones in his last three fights, it hasn't been that good. Um, who did he fight? Anthony Smith first, Santos, and then Reyes. I believe he lost against Reyes. I think it was really close, but I do believe he lost. I thought he lost three rounds to two. But here's the thing, man. I don't. I, I just don't know what 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 John is. What what's going on with John right now? I know he got, he has a lot of film, and people really prepare to fight him, and. and Eventually, you're gonna lose. You're probably gonna lose because there's so much film on you, and people are getting better every day, and they're figuring out how to beat you. But a guy like Dominic Reyes, John Jones should probably beat him easily. A guy like Santos, John Jones should beat easily. A guy like Smith, he should beat easily. You know, he he hasn't been the same for some reason, and I don't really know why. I don't want to say that he's not the same because these fighters are not as good as he is and he's just kind of playing with his food almost he's just not trying as hard because he knows that they're not as good as him but he has done that in the past with Gustafsson he didn't train as hard for that fight because he thought it would be an easy fight but John has gotten older and he's been in a lot of fights so obviously he's not gonna be the same that he used to be but there's just something missing from him I don't know what I don't know exactly what it is what to pinpoint it on but the cool thing about John Jones is that when he fights the best in the world, like a D DC or a Stipe or Gustafsson the second time after he knows he's a good fighter, he shows up and he becomes who John Jones truly is. And that's the best fighter of all time. I just can't say he's the best fighter right now from what I've seen. But if he beats Stipe, then he definitely cements himself as the best fighter ever. He already is in my book, but... The guy that's first on my list is kind of getting close to uh, getting that award as well. Which brings me to number one. And it shouldn't be any surprise to anybody. It is Habib Nurmagomedov. A lot of people who watch this, po who listen to this podcast might say, Oh, you're a Habib fanboy. Of course, you're going to put him on number one. You love Habib. Of course. <laughs> this is all true. Uh, Habib's my favorite fighter, but... He, there's a reason he's my favorite fighter is because he's the best. Not just because of that, but he is the best. Uh, I love the way he fights. The way the thing that Habib does is he fights. He he makes you question why you ever got into fighting. You see guys when they fight him, they're not the same anymore. They look up at the clock, just ho praying and hoping that the fight ends earlier, that time moves faster. They and they know what he's gonna do. They know he's gonna go in there. And he's going to take you down. He's going to be aggressive and take you down. But they can't stop him. And how can you, how could you ever hate on him and say he's a boring fighter when he, he's always 
going to the next uh, move. He's always trying to mount you, or he's he grabs your limbs and and uses them against you. He uh, crosses your legs together. He puts uh, his leg in between your arms and does a body triangle like that. And the amount of power that he generates from the ground is crazy. He generates more power on the ground than standing, which I f I don't even I didn't even know that was physically possible. But the control that Habib has, the strength that he has at that division, and his underrated striking skills, because he's such a good wrestler, it's overlooked. Um, look, if you look at his resume, he's been RDA, dominated RDA, dominated Michael Johnson, Barboza, Iquinta, McGregor, and Poirier. All great fighters in their own right, but they just could not tame the beast that is Habib. And they call him the Russian Bear for a reason. He's been fighting, he's been wrestling his whole life. There's a video of him wrestling a bear at nine years old. This guy was born for this. And I just love that he's such a humble man, and he, he really does embody like a role model in, in fighting. And it, the way that he fights is just so cool to me to watch. The fact that they know what he's going to do, but they can't stop it. And the way that he f wrestles is so interesting to me because a lot of people would love to be like Habib and wrestle like him, but they can't. They physically cannot do it. They're not good enough wrestlers to do it. You got all these NCAA Division One champions, and he destroys them in training. He just wrestles the shit out of them. They can't take him down, and they can't get up when he takes them down. Um, You know, I, I just love greatness, and I just think he's one of the greatest fighters of all time and if he wins his next two fights there's definitely some argument that he is the best fighter of all time especially if John Jones loses to Stipe so although he his, he's only gonna fight two more times and that kinda sucks I respect his decision and I, I, I genuinely care about him like I know him and I just want what's best for him <laughs> it's it sounds weird but I just I, I see this guy as like almost like a family member like whenever he fights I get nervous and I just love watching him fight and it's really cool to see him fight at my age I'm glad I didn't miss this and I'm glad he didn't fight when I was younger uh, I'm kind of fanboying a little bit but I just love the way that he fights and he's a great human being and I think right now he's by far the best fighter in the UFC and in the world MMA whatever any organization so that is all for this podcast it took uh, it was one of my longer podcasts but it had to be done with the top 10 list it takes a little while but I just wanted you guys to know my thoughts on who the best fighters in the world are and I hope you come back for uh, next week's podcast take care everybody peace <laughs>